0: Hey there. Welcome to our AP Legal Zone podcast brought to you by AP Lawyers. We are your top picks for all weekly law updates, including family, immigration, wills, and estates law. Just a friendly reminder, we are not your lawyers and everything contained in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and not to be construed as legal advice. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can stay connected with any updates and get notified about our new episodes. Hello, I'm Angela Princewill. I'm a family law lawyer in Ontario, Canada. And today I want to talk to you about unintended consequences of not having a marriage contract. So lately I have been having a lot of consultations on on marriage contracts and, you know, both sides have had people who have assets and want to make sure that it's protected going into the relationship. And I have also met people who are very uncomfortable with the idea of getting a marriage contract, even though they need one. Or even worse, some people feel very slighted because their partner is proposing a marriage contract um, or a cohabitation agreement before they start to live together. And so for those who feel uncomfortable about um, these types of agreements, I I mean, all I can say is it's a matter of perspective. It just, it's really that simple. I've heard all kinds of reasons, Um, you know, do they think I'm a gold digger? I don't want anything from them. And, you know, different sort of variations of that, um, you know, how are we going into the relationship thinking it's going to end and and whatnot? So the only example that I think, you know, my example, it's I have many examples. The only one I'm going to give you today is think of it as life insurance. You know, when you buy life insurance, you're not hoping to get into an accident. But there is a possibility that you could get into an accident and you want to make sure that, you know, you're you're protecting yourself, that you're able to um, take care of any liabilities that arise as a result of, of that accident. And you get the insurance and you leave it and you move on. Home insurance, for example. Right. I don't know anyone. I certainly don't want my house, you know, burning down or whatever, and having to claim on that insurance. I am quite content to pay forever and never make a claim. That's kind of the dream. And, but you also want that, you know, you wanna know that if anything were to happen, that you are protected that way. And if we're being realistic here, there's a greater possibility of, um, you know, a relationship breaking down than even your house catching on fire, right? So if for something that's such, if we're comfortable getting insurance, for something so uh, unlikely to happen. I think we need to change our attitudes towards marriage contracts, but I am still a romantic. I still, you know, believe in happily ever afters, but all I do say about marriage contracts is just get it and then forget it. Look at it as part of planning. It's part of your portfolio. It's part of looking at your insurance, financial planning and whatnot. Just get it done. The good thing with these kinds of agreements you could just do it and forget it if nothing changes in your situation and you don't feel the need to look at it then never do right but at least going in set you know set your expectations right line exactly what you want and the truth is for most people what the default of the law is really not what they want many people and that's why this um video is about the unintended consequences because many people going in are like well yeah we do break up i Don't want any of of their assets. I just, you know, want what's mine or I don't care. Let's share it, whatever it is. But it's important to be intentional and to make sure that you're not just leaving things to default because you may not necessarily like the provisions of the law as it is today or what it might be. Who knows what it might be if your relationship ever breakdown. So part of preparing for happily ever after is having some difficult conversations. And if you've kind of been sitting on the fence about, you know, getting a marriage cohabit or cohabitation agreement, I hope this would help. This would be just a nudge you need. Regarding cohabitation agreements, um, if you if you're just, you know, cohabiting with your partner and you're thinking, well, maybe I should wait until we get married. We don't need it right now. Nope, you do it right now when you do get married it would just um it would become a marriage contract and you don't need to do anything for for further right except of course you want to change the terms whatever but that's totally up to you you don't have to do anything after so if I haven't convinced you yet by my ramblings uh, I will give you three reasons now why a marriage contract um, is for you because I owe three yeah it's I'm going to Talk about it in reverse, sort of as consequences uh, that could happen if you don't have a marriage contract. Now, I could I could do more than three. I could probably do ten, but I'm going to cap myself at three. I don't know why I chose three; just seems reasonable. I want to keep it short and sweet, and and believe that less is more, and that you were hearing me when I say. Try to avoid the unintended consequences of not having a marriage contract. Okay. So what's one? Um, so moving into a home you owned before um marriage. Many people assume that because they own the property before marriage, if they were to break up, then, you know, at the very least, they would get a deduction of, say, the down payment on the on the home, for example. In fact, some people go as far as thinking, well, It was a house that I owned before marriage. It's in my name only. I've been the only one paying the mortgage. Whatever happens down the road, it's still my property. It's in my name and I get to keep it. None of this is true. None of it is true at all. Once you get married, once that home becomes a matrimonial home, you do not get a deduction of of, um, the down payment that you put towards that home. It's gone. You are sharing that with your partner. You do not get, um, the fact that it was, it's in your name only means nothing. You're still going to share that matrimonial home with your partner. So that's something that you want to think about. You know, how much do you have riding on this home? Remember, when it comes to the matrimonial home, title does not matter. Don't expect that you will get a deduction some people even think they will get a deduction for the value of the home as of the date of marriage no you're not going to get that you're not going to get your down payment back none of that that home would be split 50-50 now if it's a short term marriage of course you may have um you know you may try to make an argument that it would be unconscionable for the other party to get And I hear you. That's an argument that can be made, but you have to remember that that's a very high threshold. It's not the threshold on whether it should be split 50, 50. It's not whether it's unfair, whether it's unreasonable, it's whether it is unconscionable and unconscionable. I can tell you as someone who's tried to make this argument many times is a pretty high threshold. So just don't put yourself in that situation if you're quite content saying, well, I have all of this equity, you know, I'm going into this, into this relationship. I have, you know, these hundreds of thousands in this home. And even if we're married for five minutes, five years or 50 years, I don't care. I want to share this fully with, with my partner, then go ahead and don't have that marriage contract. But what I hate is when I see people um so upset years later to find out that a home that was solely in their names, in some cases, even completely paid off before marriage. Just seeing that, you know, that paid off home, that home that I've had all these years, you know, spouse is not even on title. If we look at, you know, dollar contributions, for example, this partner hasn't contributed anything to it, knowing that they have to share that equally with their Partner is usually a very bitter pill for most people to swallow. And that's why I'm saying try to avoid that consequence. If that's not what you want, please make sure you get a marriage um, contract signed. Another unintended consequence that I find um, a lot of times is when the lower ending um Partner becomes the higher income earner, so we're looking in terms of spousal support. Remember, your marriage contract doesn't only cover property. You could talk about a number of other other things in there. Spousal support is a major one. How do you want to deal with that situation? If you're saying, "Well, I don't care if I," you know, my partner was making more, and if you know going into the relationship, and if I'm making more, and no matter what happens under any circumstance. I am fine having to pay um, them support. Then, fine, you don't have to do anything. However, for most people, it's not always that straightforward, right? It might be, you know, I've I've seen cases where one partner was the the breadwinner all through the relationship. Maybe does something, you know, terrible, cheats on their partner, whatever. Relationship is breaking down, and or sometimes people are just going through you know, whatever they're going through, right? They're going through a life crisis of some sort. It goes from cheating to perhaps drugs to them losing their job. And now the lower income earner, the person that was just, you know, the supplementary income earner um, now becomes the greater income earner in, at the date of separation through circumstances that, you know, were beyond their control, unplanned, whatever. Oftentimes that person does not want to have to pay spousal support to the other. And yes, I know there's entitlement thresholds to to, um, deal with and all of that. But in some circumstances, because of a series of of events that have happened leading up to to separation, the other party is entitled to spousal support. And now that lower, you know, the person who came into the relationship as the lower income earner now feels like they just feel so terrible that they have to pay spousal support under these circumstances. So that's um, one that I've, I've, you know, I'm seeing lately. And it's it's unfortunate because had they known that that would be, you know, that there'll be this ton of events and that there will be entitlement um, by the other spouse, they will have organized their affairs differently. And that is why I am bringing it to your attention today. So don't look at life just today. Yes, today you're lower income you're no, you're not earning any income. And that's, you know, that's great. Is that how it's going to always be? What if you're a student, for example, right? So if you're if you're a professional student, for example, you may come into that relationship as the lower income enter. And as the years go by, you're now making a higher um income. Well, if that's the case, are you content to pay, you know, what could be significant sums of spousal support to the other party should the relationship um, you know, breakdown. Um there's even, you know, I've actually had I had a case where um in this case our client became a dentist after after several years of marriage, and up becoming a dentist. Uh, you know, the um partner that had a very well-paying job as an engineer um just slowly over the years stopped working. And it was never my client's intention to have the partner stop working as as an engineer that was making, you know, very significant income at the time. But then over the years, that's just what happened. And even though every once in a while, my client expressed discontent about it, the point became that at the date of, or the fact was at the date of separation, our client was the one with the higher income. That was a very unintended consequence because going into this, into this, um, marriage she was the um lower income um, enter and you know it just turned out that way again if that's something that you're not concerned about well that's fine frankly I think even when you're not concerned about some of these consequences it's worth putting it in writing just so that it's clear that you're not concerned about it as well you don't I'm not here advocating for your contract to necessarily absolve you of all liability what I'm speaking about and what I encourage is being intentional. So if you don't want that unintended consequence of having to pay spousal support because now your career has taken up and now you're making more than your partner, yeah, then just do a contract so that it's clear, whatever you, however you want support to play out should there be a breakdown in the relationship. The last unintended consequence I'm going to talk about is people in, people's inheritances. Many people, of course, know that if they have an inheritance, that it is um, excluded property. So for the most part, you can keep it free and clear from the other spouse. Well, what happens without a, um, you know, marriage contract, for example, and you put that money into renovating your matrimonial home? Well, come date of separation, you not only lost your matrimonial home that you probably, you know, Invested a lot into. Assuming you're the sole owner, but now you've also put in your inheritance there that you could have excluded, but you can't exclude now because it's in a matrimonial home. In some cases, as well, it could be a jointly owned matrimonial home. Both parties might have, you know, contributed equally um, to investing in that property, but um, one party's thinking, "Well, I have this inheritance and." You know, it's mine. I can get. that, I, I get to keep it. But if you don't have a conversation with the other person, if you don't document it in the form of a domestic contract, what you're agreeing to. Well, if you put in that money into the home and at the breakdown of the relationship, it's completely at the other person's discretion if they would allow that inheritance. And I know most people are good and and all that, but frankly, all bets are off when you come when when separation time comes. So, you know. John may have agreed that yes, put your fifty thousand dollars into renovating the home. It's your home, I know, and all that. However, if any, when something happens, they could just all of a sudden take a different position, right? And now you don't get, you don't get that inheritance that you've put into into this matrimonial home or just family property in general. And I know I sound like I'm just speaking to marry people, but these unintended consequences apply just as um. Just the same with, of course, some modification to people in common law relationships. So takeaway for today, try to avoid, um, you know, any unintended consequences. Decide what you want. Be intentional about how you want your relationship to be. And, you know, if there is a breakdown in, you know, the way of honoring that relationship and respecting, you know, the time that you've been together is making sure that if it ends, you end it in a calmness with as little conflict as as possible. And generally, a marriage contract or cohabitation agreement would help you do that. So I hope I'm giving you a little nudge today to, you know, consider more seriously. Actually, you don't consider it. Pick up the phone, email us, come get your marriage contract done or your cohabitation agreement done. It's important. It's part of your life planning and you want to make sure you do it to avoid unintended consequences that may flow if your relationship breaks down and you do not have uh, a marriage contract or cohabitation agreement. So um, that's it for today. And until next time, it's bye for now. Thanks for listening and joining us in the AP Legal Zone. We hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find more episodes by searching AP Legal Zone on anywhere you watch podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast today so you can stay connected with any updates and get notified about any new episodes.